welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. This week we sit in an airport and contemplate the definition of creative success in Ben McNair's Mr. Saturday Night. But first, a haphazard rescue mission when a team of animal rights activists seek to release a mink from captivity. Mink by Peter Eyre features performances from Natalie Barron as Amy, Louisa Guerrero as Irene and Alicia Grace Terrell as Becca, with direction, editing and some very special foley to listen out for from Thomas Mitchells. Shush! It's in here. Shut the door. Where? Over here, in this box. Poor little thing. Trapped. People can be so cruel. Oh, I think so. Who's a lovely boy? You are. Yeah, yeah, you are. Oh, he's so sweet. (coughs) Ah, I don't think he likes me. It's all right, mate. We're friends. We're here to help. Come on, we'd better get on with it. Wait. I think he needs to eat first. He looks hungry. You're right. He'll need energy if he's going to go into the big, wide world. What do minks eat? Uh, worms? Ugh, I am not touching a worm. Me neither. I tell you what, he can have my sandwich. Here you go, fella. <coughs> ah! Again! What the hell's up with him? I don't think he wants it. <laughs> of course he does. He just fancied a piece of you as well. Just throw it in. No way. I'm not going near him again. I'll do it. Here you go. Enjoy, Mr Minky. Hold on. I think it's stuck to his face. Don't worry, he can lick it off. Is he eating? Sort of sniffing it. Yes. Now eating. Good. Ah. And now being sick. I'm not sure he likes it. Thanks a lot. That was my tea. What was in it? Hummus and quinoa. Minks, don't eat that. It was my dinner and I'm vegan. Yes, but he's not. When I made it, I thought I'd be the one eating it. You could have said before you chucked it in. You could have asked. I'll have you know that hummus was homemade. Tell that to the mink. He's the one throwing it up. What? A rat! Where? There! Over there! Do something! Leave it to me. I'll get him. Take that! (laughs) And that! And that! (laughs) Stop! What are you doing? I'm hitting the rat. You've killed it! You can't kill it! I think it's a bit late for that. She's killed it. We're animal rescuers and she's killed a rat! You said do something. I meant let it out. Not beat it to death? Well, you should have said. I didn't have the chance. You started belting it into a bloody pot before I could open my mouth. Well, excuse me. Next time I save someone from rampaging vermin, I'll make sure I get the company a picture before I embark on a rescue strategy. You murderer. Oh, come on. It's only a rat. Not to its parents, it isn't. I don't think today's going very well. Yeah, you could say that. One animal dead, one vomiting blood. Great job. I'll get rid of it. We have to give it a proper burial. Uh, what, what do you recommend? A memorial service with close relatives? That's a life, that is. Or was. Uh, okay, 
I'll dig a hole and you can say some prayers. Whatever. Hold on. We shouldn't be so hasty. We may have lost a life, but it it needn't be in vain. After all, we've got a hungry mink. You mean... We can't. Why not? It's the circle of life. Better that than just going to waste. It's what he would have wanted. He would have wanted not to be smashed to death. That's what he would have wanted. Well, he has been, and that's an end to it. Go on, then. It might just give him the strength to run away. True. There you go, Minky. Once he's had that, we can let him out. Is he eating it? I can't look. Let me see. Ah. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm not sure the rat was dead after all. Uh, he started twitching. What? But you bettered it to death. I must have just stunned him. What? I wasn't wearing my glasses. I have very poor vision. What's it doing now? They're eyeing each other up. And now they're not. Oh dear, it's over. You mean, he's dead? Well, I hope you're satisfied. You got him in the end. No, not the rat, the mink. What? How? Big rat, small mink. It got him by the throat. We're mink murderers. But I'm not sure that rat's got long either by the look of him. Right, let's review the situation. We threw hummus over the mink and poisoned it. We battered a rat half to death, threw it at the mink, and then they engaged in a violent struggle ending in their mutual demise. All in all, not a sequence of events we're going to look back at with any pride. I've had it. I'm going home. Same here. Safer all round. Bye-bye, Minky. Rest in peace. And the rat. Yeah, yeah, and the rat. Come on. I am here with Peter Eyre, the writer of Mink. We've just been recording it. Thank you for being here with us. How has this process been for you? Oh, amazing. You're really nice. I mean, it's just, you know, great to sort of turn it around so quickly and come in and then you've got a finished piece within a day. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really rapid fire turnaround we have here. So it's a bit hectic. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's such a such a bonkers little piece. I love it. But um, we don't know anything about you. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I started writing for stage only really a couple of years ago. Um, so in that time, I've written uh, one full length play and a few sort of little ones as well, um, which have gone out to various scratch nights and events and things like that Um, but um, my background is um, I'm a TV director so uh, and sometimes producer and as part of that obviously you write a lot of scripts in in, um, you know in that job but I also um, wrote a lot of uh, kids shows so um, you know uh, I've done that for a little while so uh, yeah so that's kind of what I do. And is that a genre kind of kids TV comedy are they genres that you're comfortable in or do you what's your favorite thing that you've written so far? Oh yeah, oh yeah, very very comfortable now. I, as you may have noticed, I don't I don't write uh, to change the world particularly. I just I like to write something which is sort of moderately entertaining uh, and, if preferable, um, funny. So um, uh, yes, uh, a black comedy is is what I love more mm-hmm. than anything. Um, that's that's I can see the humour in unpleasant things, yeah. uh, and that kind of sometimes works for kids t- kids shows as well. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so is audio a typical medium for, for you to write in? You say you mostly do directing and, and television. So is this a new experience for you, writing for audio? A year completely new. Um, this is the first one I've done. Um, but 
um, I think the kind of things, the, the kind of way I like to write sort of works, I think, for audio because I tend not to have a lot of uh, a visual. I know I work in television, but I tend not to write visual things. I try and, uh, you know, it's it's the lines and the dialogue that I try and make funny. Yeah. Uh, and um, and sometimes what you don't see is funnier than what you do see. So it kind of works, yeah, for me, audio. But yeah, so I think I'm going to try it a bit more. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that was one of the things I thought when I was looking through the scripts. Mink is one of those that I, I wasn't sure if it was written for audio or written for screen and adapted. But I think what you were saying, part of the joy of doing it in audio is some of the more ridiculous moments are actually left to the audience's imagination. And it, the kind of the humour is in is in the words and the, the situation rather than uh, relying on the visuals of it. With the audience's imagination, something that you were taking into consideration whilst you were writing this piece. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's something inherently funny in um, somebody who's a, a member of the audience who is filling in the gaps that you haven't filled in. So uh, filling in the visual gaps. So in, in terms of this piece, it's what you can see in the box, what's happening in the box is funnier than if, if you could see it. It's not obviously it's not funny. A rat in a, mink, uh, in a, a mortal combat, um, but it's funny if you can describe it and be uh, reflective upon it. Um, so. Yeah, I mean that ran that really works for um, audio. It's it's lovely. Yeah, great. And um, so the the characters in Mink, they're I mean they're pretty hapless, right? But they have good intentions, and I I like to think that's probably true of most people in the world. And were they inspired by anyone or anything, any event in particular? Um, no, the the actual the idea for the piece came from uh, my daughter was doing a dissertation for her geography degree um, about how people um, think about and treat animals. So you have carnivores who have pets, you have vegetarians who will happily kill a spider, and it's that and that uh, that sort of conflict and those kind of contradictions. I thought, well, hey, there's something quite funny in that, yeah. uh, and that's what gave um, the idea for the for the play. Because actually, when I first wrote it, it was written for um, one male and two females. So mm. the part of Irene was 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 Ryan. So then when I put, I, I thought, oh, it'd be quite interesting to make it three women. So when I did put it three women, it kind of, some of the lines thought, well, they, they don't quite work. And so it made me think about, well, why doesn't that work as a, a, a female character playing a male? So I'm, I'm going to go back and have a little think about that because, mm. you know, I, I find it easy to write male characters being male. Um, and I'm not quite sure that my perception of what a female character should be like um, I'm not sure I've got it quite right yet. So that's quite an interesting um, part. Well, it is really interesting. It. Actually, when I was looking at casting um, the all of these pieces, I, I'm, I, I tend to be quite open with when it comes to gender, unless the piece is specifically, this must be a man, this must be a woman, and it's important to the story. I, I tend to follow the, the writer's suggestions, but I am also open to changing the gender of some of the characters. There are some other pieces where I have changed and flipped it. Um, and I think there's interesting things that come out of that. This was actually one of the pieces where I was like, do we have any guys that would be right for any of the roles? But actually the the men that had applied this season were either older or the voice didn't sound right for this kind of character. But uh, actually it was something that was in my head. I, so maybe you might have had a guy after all. So that would have been interesting. But uh, I think it works with... with yeah, no, it does. It does. It was just the sort of the, the aggression of Irene, who was male, and that kind of seemed to work for me. And then some kind of dynamic between him and and the other girl, you know, you know, I don't know. So there was something else going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it, it kind of worked. It worked both ways. Yeah. Just, yeah, good. Cool. Well, thank you very much for being with us, being on the podcast. Um, do you have anything else coming up that you'd like to shout about? 
I don't have absolutely nothing. Um, um, so <laughs> That's I also write, fine. Yeah, I kind of write when I think of something funny to write about. So uh, nothing particularly. But this has been an absolutely wonderful experience and, and fantastic. Thank you so much for setting it up. It's oh. a great thing. You're very welcome. Um, do, do you have a website or any social media people can find you on? No. Nothing at all. No. That's fine. That, yeah. That's great. Sometimes it's nice to be cut off from the world. Well, <laughs> thank you ever so much, Peter, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. And thanks again to Peter, plus Natalie, Louisa, Alicia and Thomas for their work on Mink. If you're after a little bit of support in any area of your life at the moment, Alicia is currently training to be a life coach working with individuals on a one-to-one basis to help them define their goals and how to achieve them. This can be in any area, business, social life, romance, confidence, health, the list is endless. Each session is tailored specifically to the individual, so no two sessions are the same. She's offering a free 50-minute session to 10 people in February and March, so quick, go get in contact with her. and You can do that and find out more at aliciagraceturell.com. Now, if you listened to last season... You may remember me giving a shout-out to The Offensive, a comedy mockumentary podcast that one of our Season 1 actors, Paul Waggett, is in. Now we have even more crossovers, as Thomas Mitchells, who directed Mink this week, appears as a recurring character, Theo Clinton. And Issy Adiola, one of our actors who you'll hear in Episode 4, was recently cast as upcoming character Christian Akufo. The Offensive won the Bronze Award for Best Fiction at the British Podcast Awards 2019, so definitely worth checking out. Tom Mitchells is also about to go on a national tour as Chandler Bing in Friendsicle, a parody musical of the TV show classic Friends. He couldn't be more perfect for the role, and you can catch it starting 20th of Feb, that's next week if you're listening to this as it goes out, at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley, or around the UK until the end of August. As always, links to all of that will be in the show notes. Now on to our second piece for the week. And Carla, a struggling musician, is returning home. Her dreams of musical stardom are in tatters. Mr Saturday Night was written by Ben McNair, performed by Anna Clements, directed by Bill Thomas and edited by Natalie Winter. They called me Mr. Saturday Night down in the pub where I worked. Mr. Saturday Night. Because I play what they want to sing. All those drunks out on the pool. To find someone to make life more meaningful. Play something that they know. That they can shout to. It is not much really. Just a handful of major chords. Somebody is always requesting an ABBA song. Or Angels by Robbie Williams. You know, something they can sing along to. Or the Macarena. Something they can dance to, feel their joie de vivre. They have a good time, whilst drowning out my superior talents. At least I am making a living as a musician, like my mom and papa wanted me to. But they wanted to see me play at the Royal Albert Hall, 
not at the Albert and Victoria pub. And as they say, beggars can't be choosers. And as I don't fit into what they want here in entertainment, I had to do this. There was that time I played in a wedding band, playing a borrowed Casio. Imagine the shame in playing Lady in Red or the hits of Shania Twain. I can tell you now, that did not impress me much. We had to give it up, though, when we got the blame for a marriage gone wrong. It was not our fault that the couple had chosen I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you two, and the groom danced with the wrong sister. I had hoped it would have led to other things, bigger things. Maybe playing piano or keyboards for one of the big West End shows. But they always employ the same people. Or they use digital technology and do away with musicians completely. Why employ an extra pianist when you just need a monkey to press a button? And besides, those places only pay peanuts, so all they get is monkeys. Mama and Papa will be so disappointed. I really don't know what to tell them. They will talk about the sacrifices that they made for my education, how they went without heating at home for a winter to pay for my piano, or how they drove around in cheap cars so I could be at the conservatoire. They never mention the sacrifices that I made. They did not even ask if it was what I really wanted to do. Mama would say, Carla, practice those scales. Make us proud of you. I want to tell the neighbors that's my girl when I play your new album or they put you on the radio or on the television or when that nice Mr. Bragg from the BBC talks to you about what your mama and papa did for you. They never talked about what I wanted. How I wanted to fit in with the other kids or how I wanted to be environmentally friendly to impress the girls. It is difficult to say that you believe in the planet when you have parts of a dead elephant under your fingers. When the other kids were getting their rocks off, I was getting Rachmaninoff. When I was risking Sibelius, they were risking Syphilus. I never fitted in. When they were listening to pop music or talking about their favorite in Girls Aloud, I was listening for the chord changes or the bass, listening to how the drums changed and the tempo or the piano part. But they won't understand any of that. Mama and Papa will just be disappointed that I never made it. I told them I was coming home. They think it is for a break. Only I know it is permanent. My visa runs out in three days, and I am down to the last of my savings. London is not a friendly place to be when all you have to offer is an advanced harmonic knowledge, but don't know enough to learn the knowledge. Of course, I am quite sad about it all. Nobody wants to go home with their tail between their legs and say that all of their hopes have come to nothing. I don't want to do that. But with the end of this dream, 
I have to find a new one. One to call my own, and no one else's. Of course, Mama will say, Carla, why did you give up? Couldn't you have tried a bit harder? They will say, look at your sister, Isabella. She made the dancing work for her. But she is not at the Bolshoi. She's just a Bolshoi kissogram. You can always tell if people have failed somewhere. Either they don't want to talk about it, or else all they do is talk about it. I noticed that at the conservatoire. I knew within a week that I still needed to work really hard. I had taken it for granted that I was the best at home, and therefore would be the best anywhere. But Spain is not the world. And the world is not Spain. All passengers are reminded not to leave their baggage unattended. Thank you. Mama and Papa do not really need to know I have failed. I can just tell them that I have come home for something different, a change. They will like that. I have already emailed places at home to see if they have any work going for a pianist who knows the difference between Chopin and show tunes, who can actually play with other people. <laughs> or perhaps I will take up guitar lessons and learn flamenco. If I had done that while I was here, perhaps I could have afforded to pay the rent. I could have joined a flamenco group, gone on tour, brought some of that Spanish sun to Eastbourne, Ilfracum, Rill, maybe even Scunthorpe. I was told you can make a few anagrams out of Scunthorpe, but I don't know what they would be. I am not even sure how many of my friends are still at home. I know a lot of them are international now. It says so on their Facebook pages, talking about their successful careers and marriages and children. I have nothing like that to show. My marriage is to my music. My mistress is very strict and demanding and wants hours of my life. But she only gives me pain in my hands, ringing in my ears and in different audiences. There have been times when I have pulled in the pub, but then the drink wears off and she has regrets and I have a new itch in a strange place. It is not like I regret my time in London. I have enjoyed most moments of it. The weather could have been sunnier, the trains less crowded, the food more to my liking. When I arrived, I expected to hear people talking like they did in the Sweeney or in Mary Poppins. But never once did I meet anyone from those documentaries, EastEnders or The Bill. So I just kept myself out of trouble the best that I could. I always hoped my last few hours in London would be more than this. I expected my flatmate to be sad, or tears at the pub at least. <laughs> the pub is planning to get a karaoke machine, so they will get rid of the piano anyway. It is probably for the best, 
The frame is buckled from all of the drink that used to go in it, and it took more work to get in tune than Cheryl Cole. But it felt like it was a good instrument in its day. That is the thing about life. Everything has its day. The moments that build up to it, and the moments that run from it. I hope that I have not had my day yet. But only time, chance, and luck will tell. Oh well, here goes nothing. Maybe this time next year, we'll all be millionaires. Unfortunately, we couldn't arrange a recorded interview with Mr. Saturday Night writer Ben McNair, but he kindly emailed over his responses to my questions so we can find out a bit more about him. Ben studied for a university degree in journalism, which also covered playwriting. Following that, he worked for a range of different magazines and papers, being quite widely published in local newspapers, magazines and specialist music magazines, and poetry journals. For a while, he worked in a local theatre and, combined with the taster in his degree, his interest in playwriting grew from there. He has written a few short pieces, one of which became a short film. Others have been performed in New York and London. He says that the internet has opened up a whole world of opportunities for writers. On his writing, he says he enjoys pieces that have excellent characterization and a storyline that goes from one point to another in a believable fashion. But sometimes that takes time and a lot of editing and reordering of ideas. He writes a lot of things, but very few of them see the light of day. Sometimes a piece may take a while to write, and sometimes a piece will be finished, but it takes a while to find a home. His favourite piece is always the next piece, the piece that you think about before starting to write it all down. Ben said that audio is simply a discipline, like all writing forms are. With a play, you can set a scene, have other people in it, but with an audio project like this, it feels a lot more intimate, particularly with a monologue. Every word counts more, every pause, every nuance, sound cues all become more important and heightened. Still, the background work that went into Mr Saturday Night, from Bill Thomas, with the ambience of the airport and the announcements, the editing and the characterful narration by Anna Clements, means that the writing is in particularly safe hands. Now, as implied by the title, Mr Saturday Night was originally written with a male actor in mind, and the character was named Carlos. For various reasons with this recording of it, including honouring the nationality of the character over the gender, with Ben's permission, we switched it up to Carla, played by Anna Clements. Having given Ben a sneak peek at this recording, I asked if there was anything new within the writing that came up for him, hearing the words spoken by a woman. Anything he didn't expect? He noted there was a lot more resignation and a lot more pathos in this version. Whilst it also, in a timely fashion, touches on the emotions of an immigrant having to leave the country they call home for the country they were born in, Mr Saturday Night, in my opinion, is more about an artist coming to terms with their feelings of creative failure and fears of disappointing their parents, which I think is something that we can all relate to. 
I asked Ben what artistic success looked like to him. He said it is a story about someone trying to find their path in the world and not finding it how they would have liked. It is the first day of working after leaving university and being in charge of the coffee rotor. We all have to start somewhere, pay our dues. He says he's played in enough bands as a guitarist or as a bassist, sometimes keyboard, to realise that sometimes the gig you have put hundreds of hours into rehearsing for will not live up to expectations, that you can play the difficult and complex songs to no reaction. Still, as soon as something like All Right Now by Free or Anything by the Rolling Stones is played, the audience will be up and dancing. We could all look up creative successes and try to copy them, but the likes of Arthur Miller or Tom Stoppard, Carol Churchill, they have their own distinctive voices and their own way of thinking. He says, I don't think most people like disappointing other people. Still, if creative artists have some form of outlet for their abilities, then it should be about not disappointing our audiences, about giving strangers something to think about when they hear the creativity we have put out into the world. Creative success, to Ben, is all about connecting with someone else, about a shared experience rather than any form of financial or material reward. Finally, if you want to hear more from Ben, he's just finishing off a couple of full-length plays and then we'll be trying to find a home for them. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben McNair and I'll pop a link in the show notes. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week for episode three. The Ragged Scratch podcast brought to you by Ragged Foils Productions was produced and hosted by Natalie Winter. Play edits by Thomas Mitchells and Natalie Winter. The recording engineer was Kirsty Gilmore. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. Thanks to our duelist, swashbuckler and savant tier Patreon supporters, John Grayson, Lizzie Wilding and Ruth. You didn't give us a surname, Ruth, but you're a legend. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creatives so you can find out more about them and their work. <laughs>